Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. We've got a lot on the program today. I want to get into uh, how wannabe strongman Ron DeSantis is deploying the election police. Florida is putting into effect the first election police in the nation. I expect other Republican-run states to jump on board soon as the uh, Republican war on democracy continues apace. Why is Tucker Carlson and why are Fox News becoming stooges for Putin? I'll give you the details on that. Even the New York Times is writing about this on the front page of the paper today. And we have a death cult alert. A GOP political strategist sent a message to the uh, uh, Attorney General of South Dakota after he fatally killed a man in a hit and run and uh, managed to avoid any jail time for it, which is totally bizarre. He was reading an anti-Joe Biden article on his phone while he was driving when he killed this man. Um, but anyhow, the, uh, the political strategist said, well, at least the guy was a Democrat. And turns out the guy that he killed was a Democrat. So um, anyhow, we'll get into that in the third hour. But uh, that said, let me just start off with uh, you know, my, my rant from today's HartmanReport.com. It's titled, Wannabe Strongman Ron DeSantis Deploys Election Police. You know, it starts, it opens actually with a quote. And the quote is uh, from Donald Trump, quote, there's a famous statement, sometimes the vote counter is more important than the candidate. <laughs> right. They used to go by the name of the Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan, you know, those guys who'd show up every election day to police the ballot boxes. Sometimes they called themselves white citizen councils and make sure that only authorized people had a chance to vote. By the 1960s, when William Rehnquist got into the game and would stand outside polling places near Phoenix, challenging the credentials of every black, Hispanic, or Native American, they had changed the name from the Klan to Operation Eagle Eye. Now Governor Ron DeSantis is bringing the game to the game, excuse me, millions of taxpayer dollars and the power, which is solely held by the government, to imprison people. Florida's putting into effect the first election police in the nation, and you can expect other Republican-run states to jump on board soon. Uh, as the Republican war on democracy continues apace. 
I lay out, you know, in my new book, The Hidden History of Big Brother in America, how the death of privacy and the rise of surveillance threaten us in our democracy. I lay out in detail the times in America's past where we've seen democracy die and thought police take over. Uh, the Quakers uh, being the subject of persecution, the Puritans actually, um, up in uh, uh, Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And then, of course, you've got, uh, you know, slavery in the South. Uh, if you were black, South, the South was an absolute police state. And by the 1840s, even if you were white in the South, it was a police state. Uh, it was, the South, the Confederacy, was no longer a democracy by 1845. And, uh, you know, as I've mentioned more than once on this program. So now we've got uh, this, this effort to end Republican democracy in the United States by seizing control of the core of a democracy, which is the vote. You can't have a functioning democracy without, a, without you know, basically giving anybody who's affected by the vote the ability to vote. And you know, Republicans are absolutely opposed to that. It's why every single Republican in the United States Senate, along with the, uh, the sellouts, Manchin and Cinema, voted to prevent passage of the John Lewis Voting Rights Enhancement Act or the Freedom to Vote Act. And when election workers are being threatened across the nation, uh, you know, in the wake of Trump's lies, uh, the Republican Party was just yawning. People were getting death threats. They had their homes and children targeted. They were doxxed all over the Internet. But the uh, Democratic legislation to make it a crime to threaten an election worker, Republicans, again, filibustered in the Senate. But when Democrats started winning elections in states Republicans thought they had a lock on, like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Georgia, the Republicans decided, hey, we've got to take decisive action, and we've got to do it now. Excuse me. Not to protect the election workers, of course, <laughs> but to lock down the vote, to make it harder and harder. So they cracked down on voter fraud, the crimes, real serious crimes like voting while black or voting while disabled and, and needing to mail in on your vote or voting while a college student on or near a, camp, a college campus or voting while caring about Social Security. And now, you know, you've got these so-called poll watchers. The New York Times, uh, this was during the 2020 election. Uh, they pointed out that uh, Tea Party-affiliated groups uh, were, well, here, this is a quote. That, that year, a Tea Party-affiliated group in Houston known as the King Street Patriots sent poll watchers to downtown, downtown polling locations. The flood of the mostly white observers into black neighborhoods caused friction and resurfaced not too distant memories when racial intimidation at the polls was commonplace in the South. Two poll watchers stood close to the black voters less than three feet away and engaged in what I described as intimidating behavior, wrote one election worker. Uh, the Times got that. This is from another election worker. Uh, she wrote, and this, uh, again, quoting the New York Times, the behavior in the room changed dramatically in the afternoon. The rage in the room from Republican challengers was like nothing I have ever experienced in my life. Republicans were challenging everything at the two tables I could see. When the ballot envelope was open, they'd say they couldn't see it clearly. When the next envelope was open, they made the same complaint. They objected to every single step down the line for no good reason. And then the New York Times notes, quote, the chaos provided some of the basis for Michigan officials to debate whether to certify the results of the 2020 election. Right. 
So now Ron DeSantis, up, in, you know, up until recently, these so-called poll watchers did not have the power of the state. They did not have the power to arrest people. They did not have the power to imprison people. They didn't have the power to pull out a gun and shoot people. Well, now in Florida, they will. Because Ron DeSantis has started the first official office in the United States, state-run office, answers directly to the governor, of election police. Right. You know, the Ukrainians right now are showing us how valiantly people can fight to preserve a democracy. Will Americans have the courage that Manchin and Cinema lack and the, and the entire GOP party uh, to stand up to, these Repub to the Republican war on democracy? I guess we'll have to find out this fall, right? This is, this is when, the, when the rubber's gonna hit the road, so stay tuned, as they say in the radio business. All righty, let's pick up your phone calls, as I said, with Jeff in San Francisco. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? I just uh, reading on the internet in California. There's some good news. They're gonna, there's going to start putting solar panels above the canal. We have 4,000 miles of public water delivery system infrastructure in California, and the solar panels can generate 13 gigawatts of energy annual, annual equal about one sixth of the state's current installed capacity, and about the Whoa. half of the projected new capacity. And they'll so also reduce uh, evaporation. Yeah, that and create energy, you know, save water and make clean energy. So uh, that's kind of positive. And, you know, you know, the Democrats need to come out with these things that we are doing in these blue states and take it to places like Missouri. You know, you've heard of the Lake of the Ozarks and yeah. the, the water system there is just really bad because sewage. You have all these, you know, they have not, you know, foresaw how they're going to flush these toilets and you know, so the water's pretty bad. In, in California, you know, we're putting cisterns actually in our buildings that uh, are treating this water, gray water and even black water, which is, you know, sewage. And we're, right. you know, so, I mean, I mean, we need to bring, bring to the fact that during the Depression, we, uh, the Bagdell Dam created Lake of the Ozarks. That, you know, when you invest in infrastructure, just like the, the highway system, we create jobs. Yeah. You know, and we create small businesses. It's absolutely whole, true, Jeff. It's absolutely true. You know, so. Jeff, thanks for the heads up on that. That's very cool. <laughs> Th thank you very much. A little bit of good news. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And if you want to check out my rant for the day, it's over at HartmanReport.com. And let's see here. Jerry in Huntington Beach, California. Hey, Jerry, thanks for waiting on hold so long. What's up? Oh, thanks, Tom. Before the first shot was fired in Ukraine, there were only two possible outcomes. One is that Putin would take over Ukraine peacefully, and that's not going to happen because we stand up to bullies. <laughs> Good luck with that. But uh, the second outcome is he would take it over by force, mm -hmm. which is what has happened. And so we have a, a well. There is a third a outcome. Basically, disaster. And, well, there's more. There's more. And that is that he tries to take it over and he doesn't succeed, and he gets a bloody nose no, and no, he loses his wrong. own position. That's where you're wrong. That's where we disagree. Okay. Uh, uh, the thing is that what what they should do, and I realize I'm a coalition of one. Nobody's in this in this war loving country is going to agree with me. But uh, what we should be encouraging over there is talks to with Russia to give give Putin whatever he wants, say you won, and save as many lives as we can over there. Those people are over there now fighting. Oh, they're gonna they're 
just be encouraged to uh, commit patriotic suicide, which is exactly what's going to happen. They're all going to be dead eventually, whether it's next week or next month. We need to do something today to stop the fighting and stop this war. What do you suggest? Do that, I, just, I just told you, go to Putin, say, you win. What do you want? We'll sign anything you want. Stop the fighting. He'll say, I he want Ukraine. Along with that. And, then, and then he'll impose a police state and he'll, he'll kill all those people anyway. And we don't know what he'll uh, and, do. and he will seize all sure. the strategic minerals. He'll seize one of the world's largest supplies of lithium. He'll see, uh, he'll seize the fifth for. largest supplier of wheat to the world. I mean, and you think it's all about wheat and no. uh, lithium? I am not no. saying that it is, but I'm saying that that's what he'll get if we say, "Here you go, have whatever you want." And then, by the way, well, if we if we just roll over, Jerry, what's what's he going to do with Moldova? What's he going to do with Poland and Hungary and Lithuania and Estonia? You don't have any idea. You can't predict what he's going to do about that. I can tell you that his his own his own internal documents that we've seen indicate that Moldova was next. Well. I'm looking at what we have now in front of us, a disaster in Ukraine. More people are going to die, and the sooner they, they give up, the, sooner, the better the chance of saving a few people in that country. That Zelensky needs to go in there and say he's sorry, uh, we, or we, we made a mistake. Should, have England, uh, should England have given up in 1943? That was different. How was it different? Well, we weren't facing somebody with nuclear weapons, for one thing. Well, we don't, we don't know that. Really they were actually... Really, you really want to go to war, nuclear war over Ukraine? I don't. There's no strategic, strategic value to, to the United I States I don't, or but I think that when you roll over for bullies, all you do is empower them. That's been my experience well. ever since I was <laughs> 10 years old. Putin looks pretty powerful right now. He's destroyed the whole country. He's not even finished yet. Right. The worst is yet to come. He's also taking huge casualties. He's he's uh, has rising unpopularity he at home. Care. His, his, care I think he does casualties. care. He w- if he didn't no, care, he, he wouldn't care. be telling us that these sanctions are the are are an act of war. If he if he he's didn't care, he wouldn't be threatening nuclear for years, weapons for years. What we should be doing is waiting him out. Yeah. He's 70 years old. Let him, let him die of old he's, age. He's 69. No. He already outlived no. yeah, <laughs> out the age of uh, the average Russian. Give him a few years, he might kick the bucket. Yeah, and, and, and Hitler and might have might have died of a protein deficiency. I mean, Jerry, I you know, I'm sorry. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. Jerry, thank you for the call. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out 
for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, so is Tucker Carlson the new Tokyo Rose? Or just, as Al Franken said in his recent podcast, a POS, using words that I can't say on the air. Um, Tucker Carlson now on Fox has become the main spokesperson for Putin in the United States. As Putin's forces have been filmed gunning down and dropping bombs on women, men, children, and animals, and a crew of reporters from Sky News was fired on by one of Putin's death squads last week, Two reporters were shot. Tucker Carlson comes out on Fox News and says, hysteria is now the official language of public discourse in the United States. That's, that's not good for anyone except those benefiting from it. Who's benefiting? Anyone who lies for a living. Apparently he means, you know, like ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, even the reporters on Fox News. Or he's projecting like crazy. I mean, I just had a call from a guy in Los Angeles who was saying, eh, we should just let, let Putin have Ukraine. You know, it'll be a lot less painful. Just, you know, uh, stop the war, let him take it, do what he wants, you know, build concentration camps, whatever. Okay, so Tucker Carlson, he adds, hey, maybe with a war on Russia is not a good idea for the United States. That's not an extreme position. The people in charge and decided the primary job is to decide who you should hate. In an environment like this, everything feels like propaganda, and that's because much of it is. Right. So, uh, oh, and, and Tucker Carlson goes on to say, it's what we call disinformation, and it was designed to get you to support a war against Russia. This is Tucker Carlson being, you know, as, as Putin's hands are moving, Tucker's mouth is moving, being his puppet master. Maybe you should support a war against Russia anyway, but you should at least know you're being lied to and manipulated, which you are, says Tucker. In response to that, former uh, Democratic Senator Al Franken, on his uh, Al Franken podcast, uh, said, uh, uh, this is interesting, he was having a conversation with this guy, Michael Weiss. And uh, Weiss says, uh, we've won the war. The government has been toppled. Ukraine now belongs to Russia. Now, this was a social media post that the Russian government had posted the day after the war started, you know, because they had just assumed that Zelensky was just going to roll over. Okay, we surrender. You guys are the big guys here. Just take it. And Weiss notes, the article was uploaded to the Internet prematurely and then had to be taken down because they didn't win the war. To which Franken says, so in other words, all news there is is like Fox News was under Trump. He means in Russia. And Weiss says, well, actually, quite literally in some cases, because they love to play Tucker Carlson on Ukrainian state television. 
and they do. They're playing Tucker on loops, you know, praising Putin and talking about all this stuff. Oh, good, Franken responds. I'm glad somebody in our country is giving aid and comfort to the Russians. Thank God, because that'll probably only result in deaths. I don't know, thousands of people. But you know what? Tucker makes a lot of money. Did you know that? And Weiss says, yeah, he certainly does. And then, and then that was the point at which um, uh, the former senator said, or you can say, I'm a worthless POS, and the only way I can make money is this way. You know, in other words, he's saying this is, this is something Tucker Carlson could say. Right. Right. So do we have a fifth column in the United States? Or is the patriotic thing to do to encourage Ukraine to just roll over, let the Russians march in and put, you know, hang Zelensky? What should we do? Are you with Tucker and Putin or are you with America and Zelensky? Back with your calls. We're reading today from Warrior Is by Harley and Robin Zephyr. That's the story of their great-grandfather who, in real life, killed Custer at Little Bighorn. And, in fact, there's a map of the war, as it were, the battle. And they say that he is now the spirit keeper of Custer, which is remarkable. And there's a page-and-a-half introduction to the book, and then it becomes a historically accurate novel, basically. This story is the traditional and cultural account of the life of Nikokju Lakota warrior Mato Nyanpi, saved by Bear, his name in English, also later known as Scarleg. Warrior is based upon a true story. What you are about to read has been told to us through our family, passed down as oral history from generation to generation. Every family has its own story. This is ours. It's up to you to visualize and experience the events described herein in order to determine what you believe or what you choose to accept from what you learn from these pages. You've likely never read a story quite like this before. In Warrior Is, the reader is able to visualize and experience the events and circumstances of Mato Nianpi's life. Many times the story is told in the present tense, such as if you were walking with Saved by Bear and his people as the events unfold. This was our original manner of storytelling. Other times the story is narrated in the past tense to account for a past perspective. Those of us who may not be entirely fluent in particular words or specific language as much as we may be fluent in spirit and honest communication, the life messages many times can be more meaningful than just the written or spoken words. Warrior is follows the timeline from the time of creation moving through Saved by Bear's birth in 1849 and going up to July 1876, two weeks after the Greasley Brass Battle. Please exercise your free will and follow your conscience when reading this story. The spiritual side is called upon you to open your spirit so that you may read this tale and learn about these events through your own spirit. And, you know, continues sort of like in that line, but here, right to the book. Prologue. He smelled the yellow of the sun. His spirit was alive and energetic. He felt the energy in his chest and all along the blood running through his veins. He looked to his left to see his great friend by his side. The strong scent of sage caressed his nostrils and reminded him of home. The movement over the high-running hilly ridge to the south caught his eye. He and Swift Bear sensed and felt the pathway opening up. So much had occurred so quickly, so suddenly, so dramatically. Their call to duty, his call to duty, filled his mind, his heart, his spirit. Today, it was meant to happen. It was presented to the people from the Creator. The plan was made. The warriors summoned. The preparation was done. It all led to this place, this portal in time. The sparse clouds to the west resembled mare's tails, and for a brief moment he remembered his white stone friend in the White Mountains. 
He remembered his spiritual commitment to protect his people, Grandmother Earth, and the sacred Hapa. And time stood still for a moment, a small moment in time, through all of the ancient and original history of all the moments of time. And as the group of the horse-mounted soldiers rode briskly over the far ridge, the Creator shined that warm, nurturing light upon these warriors. Such as Creator had been doing since the beginning of time, since the beginning of Grandmother Earth and Grandfather Sky, and at the beginning of all things, all the moments of time forever had arrived here, now. It had come to this. Creator's strong will and great invisible hand had placed them here. It was the Creator all along. It always was. It always would be. For one to know what led the young Lakota warriors to be here at this fateful site near the greasy grass river on this warm, sun-drenched day, one must go back, go back in time, way back to the beginning, when it was only the Creator, and the Creator of all things decided to create a new world. Her name would be Unsimaka, Grandmother Earth, and she would be created to hold and sustain life. All kinds of beings, all kinds of people, would be given and placed upon and within her to show her love of life. And this is how it all began. Chapter 1, Origin The human beings evolved from the spirit. Before arriving in Wind Cave, we were star people. Many of us came from a place called the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters, an ancient star grouping and constellation that contains worlds comprised of the gift of life-giving water. Water is life. Mini Wikoni. The Pleiadian influence is an absolute, but those of us who claim to be relatives of the Pleiadians share a common bond with other indigenous people, regardless of where we are geographically on the earth. We will always remain Pleiadian star people. Spiritually, we have become human beings of different races and ethnicities, but the origin of our spirit is the water. And for us, and as to who we are, as the tribal people in a family way, our name is Minkoju, it's evidence. It means life's subsistence through the gathering and planting by the waters and or river. The Minikochu spend their lives living by the waters. This is something that many of our own people do not know or understand, but this is our history, not only of our physical existence, but also the history of our spiritual existence on Unsimaka. The book is Warrior Is by Robin and Harley Zephyr. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Tom. How are you doing? I'm, I'm fine. Good. Yeah, okay. I am fed up with the greed. I don't know if anyone else saw the newscast of this meatpacking company that said they have labor problems and that's the price of meat. But they just announced a three-month dividend for the first quarter of a billion dollars. Whoa. Their profit margin for last year was $3 billion. So let me get this and straight. They're kicking a billion dollars back to their investors, but they're saying that they can't afford to pay their employees. Right. They have a labor problem. Right. But if they made $3 billion profits last year, and for the first three months, the first quarter of the year, they had made $1 billion. How high will their profits go for this year? Well, presumably $4 billion. <laughs> but but, but they're jacking their prices up right now, so it might be way yeah. more than that. I mean, this is okay, happening so all across corporate America right now, Norma. We've, we've got corporation after corporation declaring that they have never been more profitable. Oh, and by the way, we have to raise prices. Yes. Well, um, if you do the math, 
Yeah, you say divide the the three months into a billion. That's three hundred and thirty three million a month. Mm-hmm. Thirty days into a month, that's over ten million dollars a day in profit. Yeah. And if we don't do something about the greed, people can't feed their families. Yeah, we have discount stores here, and people are buying cheap food at something like Dollar General, lunch meat and sandwich, and bread to feed their kids. Yeah. They're no, nothing Which is nutritional. Not yeah. No, it's not. And if this keeps on, you're going to have. We're going to see people beating on our representatives' doors, demanding a, a basic income, which Congress does not want to hear about. Actually, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see Republicans getting elected. Here's what I think is going on, Norma, and I and and I'll tell you right up front. This may well be just some nutty conspiracy theory, but I don't think so. Almost all of these major monopolistic corporations that control the sec- all these you know, sectors of American business, whether it's airlines or pharma or meatpacking or uh, you know, processed foods or fast food or restaurants or, or hotels energy. or energy or entertainment or cable TV or, you know, I mean, just go on and on. There's not, yeah, there's virtually, there, there is, I can't think of a single major sector of our economy that's not basically locked down by a maximum of four to five companies that operate in concert like a like a monopoly like an oligopoly and And they're all members of the u.s chamber of commerce and the u.s chamber of commerce is aggressively supportive of republicans and aggressively opposed to democrats and has been for the better part of four decades and they're members of the federal society also right and so i think that what they're doing what they're saying to each other right now in the corporate boardrooms and they're as much as saying it on the on the pages of the financial times is hey there's a democrat in the white house democrats control the house and senate now is the time to jack your prices as high as you can, as fast as you can. The Democrats will take the blame for what looks like inflation. We'll take the profits and uh, you know laugh all the way home. And then when a Republican comes into office, we'll we'll go back to being reasonable. That's what I think is going on, Norma. I've never seen prices go down, Tom. Yeah. I, the other day, a guy said no. he saw fifty no, cents a gallon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can remember the day it went from 18 to 22, and my father almost killed the gas station owner if my mother hadn't pulled him off. (laughs) And, yeah, we'll go. But this has got to stop, and we don't even. Our Congress is owned by these corporations. And until people wake up, we have got to keep walking and talking and teaching people. I don't leave the door without talking to at least two or three people every day about what is going on. And I teach the Powell Memorandum. I teach uh, Pennsylvania Coal versus Mahan. You can't interfere with a corporation's right to make a profit. I tell people you can't come to Alabama and go off grid because then you're depriving Alabama power of a of a income. Right. If you put up a solar panel, you have to pay a fee every year. Wind towers are illegal in Alabama. Wow. We just had a hike in, in Alabama Power. We had a hike in Spire, which used to be Alabama Gasco. We are getting a hike in water. We're getting a hike in the new sewer company that's coming in next month. Yeah, and so how can people continue to pay more to every one of these corporations and still survive? Right. Are we all supposed to just give up and be homeless serfs and destroy the United States? Well, no, that- I, I think they want you to stop short of that because they want you to continue buying their products. But they do like it when you live on the edge of poverty because then you're a more compliant workforce. I mean, it's yeah, just—it's just that simple. It's being very compliant and complacent is killing the United States. Yeah, no, I None agree. None of these corporations are actually owned by U.S. companies. They're all international, and I think their point is to destroy the United States through poverty. 
Well, uh, or just drain us dry. But, uh, you know, point taken. Norma, thank you very much. Uh, Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Hi, Tom. I really appreciate your show in these dark times. Thank you. Hannity's show had Trump on the phone asking, Hannity was asking him questions about Putin. Three times he asked Trump if he thought Putin was evil. And Trump would not agree with that once. Yep. Well, you know, Trump, Trump is a wholly owned subsidiary of Putin. Yeah. Trump said he was his friend, and he said Kim Jong-il was his friend. North, Dore- North Korean dictator was his friend, too. Yep. And, and then Trump repeatedly said the war would have never happened to Ukraine if he was president. And here's a thought for Hannity. Ask Trump to call his buddy, Putin, and say, stop already. And Putin is worse than Hitler right now, and he has decimated the whole entire country of Ukraine. And my wish for NATO is that all of NATO, all the forces would come in at the same time to defend Ukraine. It's not going to happen, but I, you know, I, I share your your concern, Jessica. I, I would not say that he's worse than Hitler, though. Let's not minimize the Holocaust. Uh, but but it's terrible what he's doing. It's absolutely terrible. Jessica, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The South Dakota Attorney General is a guy by the name of Jason Ravensborg. Yeah, that's a very strange name, but who can pick on people for their names? Anyhow, he didn't choose it. But he was driving down the road at uh, high speed and looking at and reading on his phone an anti-Biden article, and he, and he hit and killed a pedestrian. And then just apparently the guy just came right up on his windshield and went flying off the car, and he just kept on going. And when he got where he was going, he told somebody that he'd killed a deer. Right. He'd killed a person. He's the attorney general, the chief law enforcement officer for the state of South Dakota. And uh, 
he then cut a plea deal with a friendly judge and, and you know, he didn't, didn't go to jail. He, he got no jail time for killing this guy. And there was an attempt, uh, the governor, Christy Noem, she came out and said he should resign. He said, nope, I'm not gonna resign. Uh, the Republican-controlled state legislature, there was an effort to impeach him, mostly by the Democrats, so the Republicans said, no, we're, we're good with him. He was, after, after all, reading an anti-Joe Biden article when he, when he killed this guy. And uh, so, anyhow, the, the punchline for this whole thing, or where this has come to now, this all happened, you know, like last year, so a uh, political consultant who's working with this guy sends him a text message that says, uh, well, at least you kill, at least the guy was a Democrat. And it turns out, yep, that was the case. It was a Democrat. Meanwhile, also in the Republican death cult, three men pleaded guilty. Now, this was a few weeks ago. Three men pleaded guilty to crimes related to a scheme to, a, to attack power grids in the United States in furtherance of white supremacist ideology. I'm reading this from a press release from the Department of Justice's Office of Public Affairs. According to court documents, Christopher Brunner Cook, 20, of Columbus, Ohio, Jonathan Allen Frost, 24, of West Lafayette, Indiana, and of Katy, Texas, and Jason, Jackson Matthew Sobel, 22, of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, each pleaded guilty to one count of conspiring to provide material support to terrorists. And then the, they quote the Assistant Attorney General for National Security, Matthew Olson, saying these three defendants admitted to engaging in a disturbing plot in furtherance of white supremacist ideology to attack energy facilities in order to damage the economy and stoke division in our country. U.S. Attorney uh, Kenneth Parker of the Southern District of Ohio said these defendants conspired to use violence to sow hate, create chaos, and endanger, this, and endanger the safety of the American people. Assistant uh, FBI Counterterrorism Director Timothy Langan said the defendants in this case wanted to attack regional power substations and expected the damage would lead to economic distress and civil unrest. So this is exactly what Tim McVeigh thought would happen when he blew up the federal building in Oklahoma City back in, in well, I think it was 93. William J. Rivers, the special agent in charge of the FBI's Cincinnati field office, said, quote, those inspired to commit terrorist acts in the name of hate pose a serious threat to our nation. I am thankful for the Joint Terrorism Task Force, you know, basically who busted these guys. According to the documents, the court documents in 2019, Frost and Cook met in an online chat group. Gee, I wonder what that, you know, uh, actually, I'm, I'm not wondering very much. By late 2019, Sowell, a friend of Cook's, had joined this conspiracy. As part of the conspiracy, each de defendant was assigned a substation in a different region of the United States. The defendants believed their plan would cost the government millions of dollars and cause unrest for Americans in the region. They had conversations about how the possibility of the power being out for many months would cause war, even a race war, and induce the next Great Depression. In February 2020, the co-conspirators met in Columbus, Ohio. Frost provided Cook with an AR-47, and the two took the rifle to a shooting range to train. Frost also provided Cook and Sowell with suicide necklaces during the Columbus meeting. The necklaces were filled with fentanyl and were to be ingested if and when the defendants were caught by law enforcement. This is just an amazing story. Upon arriving in Columbus, Sobel and Cook purchased spray paint and painted a swastika under a bridge at a park with the caption, Join the Front. 
They had additional propaganda plans for their time in Ohio. Again, I'm reading from the Justice Department here. They had additional uh, propaganda plans for their time in Ohio, but they were detained or derailed, excuse me, during a traffic stop during which Solwell swallowed his suicide pill. Right? The cops pulled him over. And he swallowed a suicide pill, but he ultimately survived. There wasn't enough fentanyl in the pill to kill him. Court documents detail that Cook and Frost continued to travel together after their Ohio meeting and drove to Texas in March of 2020. Cook stayed in different cities with various juveniles who he was attempting to recruit for their plot. The defendants face a maximum of 15 years in prison. Welcome to the United States. Now, why, you know, if these three guys... And, and, and let me, I mean, you know, the guy that is all over this is Dean Obadala right here on Sirius XM uh, Progress. Uh, uh, but, uh, but let me say it, uh, because Dean isn't here to say it. If these three guys had been Muslim, this would have been a news story on Fox News for a month. Or if these three guys had been black or Hispanic or Asian, it would have been a news story for months. But they were three white guys. And so, you know, the way that you learn about it is by reading the Department of Justice's website. I didn't see any news uh, agencies or organizations that even picked up the story. And this is, you know, clearly domestic terrorism. So, enough of my rants. Let's pick up your, yours, Dawn in Minneapolis. Hey, Dawn, thanks for listening to AM950 KTNF. What's up? Oh, my word. I think we need some good news after that rant, Tom. Okay. <laughs> go for it, please. <laughs> Which is why I'm calling. Um, I just learned about this amazing public renewable energy resource program that's happening in Minneapolis. And last week, I went to my son plays basketball, and we went to see him play against the North High School Polars. So we went over to North High School, and during the uh, halftime, they were doing a public awareness campaign to invite us all into their program where you can buy shares into the solar infrastructure, which the whole entire high school is covered with solar panels. And they're selling public shares. All you need is to be uh, an electric energy um, customer in the county, Mm -hmm. and it will offset your bill directly. And you could, in theory, buy enough shares that you actually make a profit because they sell their energy back to the grid. So it eliminates the need, yes, exactly, to invest in like tens of thousands. I know all week you've been talking about the infrastructure costs. So this is like a school that's crowdsourcing their, their solar energy system? I'm not sure how it's funded. I just learned about it, but me and my husband are looking into, you know, buying the shares. Yeah. And my understanding is also you can take the shares with you if you're a renter, and all you need is to be a customer of the energy company, mm-hmm. and it just comes right back on your bill. Oh, very And cool. I was just completely blown away, and the whole high school is covered with these panels. So it was. it's essentially, you know, the public infrastructure that you buy into, and... I was just amazed, and I think your listeners, you know, if this is happening in their communities or not, it's something we could all look into because it's, it's, I think it's amazing. Yeah, it sounds like it, Dawn. I can't, you know, vouch for it. I don't know any of the details, but uh, I know that there's a lot of solar activity going on in Minneapolis. I've read ads for one of the companies that's advertising on, your, on the radio station you're listening to, KTNF. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of good stuff going on. Dawn, thanks for the heads up on that. You're welcome, Tom. Thanks for doing the good work. You, you betcha. It is a bit of good news. So uh, we'll, we'll continue. Good news, bad news, whatever you want to talk about today. 
Patrick in Seaside, California. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind today? Hey, uh, Tom, I got a, basically one question, but it has about four parts, and it's all related to uh, protecting our democracy and our right to vote. Part A, shouldn't the Justice Department have brought multiple lawsuits against every Republican state? Not, I think they've only done a few. Every Republican state that's passing these anti-voting laws. Part B, um, shouldn't if Merrick Garland does not impeach, or excuse me, indict uh, Trump before Election Day or like by the end of the summer, uh, isn't that going to be too late? And are they going to do anything about the uh, voting police in Florida? Part C, barring uh, any executive let's just, let's orders. Let's take these one at a time, Patrick, because I'm not I'm not making notes. What was your first point? Um, shouldn't the Justice Department be um, uh, suing every Republican state that's po- passing these anti-voting laws? Yes, absolutely. And are they going to be challenging the voting police in Florida? I would be very surprised if anybody challenged that. And by the way, most of the successful lawsuits against these state uh, laws that involve either gerrymandering or or efforts to suppress the vote have not been uh, launched by the Justice Department. They've been launched by Mark Elias and and uh, nonprofits uh, that shouldn't, are, shouldn't know, the Justice Department be a lot more aggressive? I think, the I think they should, but you know, I don't run the Justice Department. Okay, so then the next part of the question was, um, if Merrick Garland does not indict... By the way, by the way, Patrick, apropos of my last, uh, you know, or to my last answer, the Justice Department can only enforce laws that actually exist. And the For the People Act, or the, excuse me, the Freedom to Vote Act, well, the For the People Act also, but the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Enhancement Act, which were both shot down by Manchin Cinema and every single Republican in the U.S. Senate, those laws would have given the Justice Department the power to sue these Republican states for their voter suppression laws. But right so now, I don't think su- that they have the power to do that in most cases. So that's why they're not suing every state. Correct. Um, now, if Garland doesn't uh, indict Trump before Election Day, isn't it going to be too late? Uh, too late for what? Well, I mean, you know, if, if the Republicans steal back the House and Senate by large margins, I would you know, think that it's a move. They're not going to steal gonna back the Justice the last Department. Few years of- and Garland has been very, very clear that he's going to follow this through to the end and he's going to get everybody involved in this, which I think would presumably include Trump. Um, so, you know, even if they shut down the January 6th committee in January when, you know, if, if the Republicans take the House, which is quite likely, actually, um, then, you know, that that work can continue in the Justice Department. The last two parts, quickly, barring any executive orders by President Biden, I think he should be talking more about this and, and aggressively, so should the Democrats. And the last part is... Um, uh, I think the Democrats need to label any... the Republican war on democracy, and they need to promote that meme. And the last part is, um, are, they gonna be, are there going to be any countermeasures to prevent people being you know, beaten up or threatened by thugs at the polls this, this uh, election? Oh, this is exactly what Republicans want. So I'm expecting to see a lot of that this election. I have one um, yeah. quick thing to add. Uh, I had a weird dream before I woke up, and it was I was in a political science course, and some guy uh, who's a big, large Republican, I'm 6'1", he's like 6'4", about 500 pounds, he was saying that uh, it's people of color and, and, and minorities that are trying to steal the vote. And I said, really? And then I just tried to bring the whole class in it, and he was chasing me around the room, and I'm like, come oh, on, man, geez. I would love to send you to jail. <laughs> I would love to jail. Yeah. Patrick, I got to run. I'm sorry. Uh, Save us all from dreams like that. (laughs) Uh, Jeff in Portland. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Thanks for helping us navigate these uh, turbulent times. I want to talk war and peace. 
and preface that by saying there's good news concerning Bill McKibben's heat pumps for peace plan. Mm-hmm. According, yeah, according to the Washington Post this week, the White House is seriously considering it. They're just deciding how to implement it. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great, especially if they're made in the USA. Definitely. And apropos of you highlighting Jimmy Carter's 79 energy speech, I'd really like to see Biden come out with his own version of that, an even more visceral version. You know, we need to electrify and solarize our home heating and cooling systems. We need to electrify public transportation, get as many gas guzzling cars off the road as possible. And we can do that while giving, you know, average Americans relief from these uh, from inflation and the high gas prices, not just with the uh, big oil windfall tax, but with a wealth tax on billionaires. And, and we could call it the uh, patriotic billionaires for democracy tax. Um, <laughs> I like it. But, Jeff, just yeah. if, I, if I could just real quickly to Jimmy Carter's speech, his 1979 energy speech, he yeah. never used the word malaise. But the only way you can find that speech online is to Google the word uh, or to the phrase uh, Carter's malaise speech. It was because he was talking about energy, the fossil fuel industry jumped into the PR waters really, really rapidly and said, oh, he's complaining that America has malaise and he just wants us all to turn our thermostats down. And isn't that sad? And there you go. Yeah, and you know, Biden has the advantage of this being a clear and present danger. Yes. Uh, so that should help. But you know, also, Tom, we need to pursue diplomacy as much as possible, but while giving those MiG fighter planes to Ukraine. Russia violated that Budapest memorandum that you talked about. So. I agree. That is a reasonable rationalization for it. Jeff, thank you. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Roy in Bainbridge Island, Washington. Hey, Roy, what's up? Hey, Tom. I'm trying to find out if uh, Snowden, who was a whistleblower, I don't know if you remember Snowden. I remember him uh, well. I, yes. Oh, good. Edward Snowden. Yeah. What, I just was curious what his situation is at the moment. In he, Russia, uh, he, he blew the whistle. You know, he, he dumped that data from the NSA, or actually from the contractor that he worked for for the NSA. And then he went right. to Hong Kong for a while and hid out, as I'm, if I'm recalling correctly. And then when they yeah, were hot on, his, hot on his trail there, he, he went to Russia. He went to Moscow. And uh, the last I heard, and this was a little news story, and I think it might have been The Guardian a week or two ago, that uh, his girlfriend, you know, went over a couple of years ago and married him, and and she's been living with right. him, and apparently they had a baby a year or so ago, and he just uh, uh, applied for or acquired, I don't recall which it was, uh, Russian citizenship. Whether he has dual citizenship or it's just Russian, I don't know if he renounced his U.S. citizenship, um, but his son also has Russian citizenship because he was born there. They have birthright citizenship in Russia, and I don't know what the deal is with his wife. So that's everything I know, Roy. If, if, the, if the subtext to your question 
is uh, is Snowden now a you know a, a stooge for Putin? Uh, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Okay. So, Appreciate I mean, it, Tom. I mean, could be, but you know, you never know. Thanks a lot for the call, Roy. Maverick in Edmonds, Washington. Hey, Maverick, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I'm calling because I want to talk about Ukraine. Mm -hmm. This has been on my mind every waking hour and even in my dreams, this disaster that's happening over there. Uh, growing up in Chicago and living out in Seattle area now, there's a lot of Ukrainian people out here. I love them. As soon as Putin started amassing all those people, we should have done the same. Us and NATO yeah. uh, amassed the equal amount of troops right on the border, not taking aggressive action, but shown that we are ready. And uh, now that it's too late for that, I think we got to act. We've got 95% of the world is on our side. And by our, I mean NATO, uh, democracy, and freedom. Actually, it's not 95%, Maverick. You got, you know, one, one and a half billion people in China. China's taking Putin's side. You got over a billion people in India. Modi is taking Putin's side. Um, you know, that's a third well, of the world's population because, right there. Uh, I, think, I think that's arguable. I think that uh, China uh, is, uh, is uh, not real happy about this because it's united the world. And oh, I, you know, I get that, and I don't disagree. But, yet, you know, t yesterday, the, the Ch China came out. They're using their social media. They're using their propaganda systems to promote this idea that Putin is invading Ukraine because there's bio labs there. And there aren't. There are the equivalent of county health department labs there. That's it. Fair enough. But uh, at some point, like you always say, you got to punch the bully in the nose. Yeah. And the time has come. Uh, you know, you're, you're singing my song, Maverick, although, uh, you know, I, I also am very aware of the fact that Russia has enough nuclear weapons to wipe out life on Earth. And, uh, you know, we've got to be very, very careful around that. Uh, Maverick, thank you for the call. Marie in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Marie, what's on your mind today? Hey there, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I have no specific basis to prove what I'm thinking, but, you know, I, I've been thinking about Ukraine and everything I've heard is that it made no sense for Russia to even attempt this invasion. Um, and so my in looking at what they're doing, sending out tanks that are running out of fuel, sending out troops that that aren't equipped or were ill informed and basically sending them sending them on what looks like a suicide mission. Um, I'm reminded of Vietnam. I'm reminded of the strategy of um, taking the locals and putting broomsticks in their hands and sending them running towards the American troops to get the Americans to expend their resources yeah. so that when the properly armed people came in, they had fewer resources to respond with. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at what's happening in Ukraine and, I, and there's a part of me that's saying this is the setup. This is essentially the rope-a-dope. Um, and then in terms of, you know, recall that Putin learned the lesson of um, having been economically devastated in the war with Chechnya and with Afghanistan. Um, and I don't have a hard time thinking that maybe that's what he's trying to do to economically drain other countries' resources in having to fight over this fairly small significant and definitely worth defending um, country in, in, in his part of the world. Yeah, except that so, he's draining his own resources, Marie. That, that's why I true. think that what we're looking at here, and I, I like your Vietnam analogy, and let me just extend that. Uh, I think he's looking at hubris. You know, Lyndon Johnson thought he could kick South Vietnam or North Vietnam's ass in, in six months. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, uh, Robert McNamara 
first of all, lied to LBJ for two full weeks about the Gulf of Tonkin. So LBJ was out there going, oh, yeah, we've been attacked and they took down our ship and all this stuff. And it was a lie from the secretary of defense who knew it was a lie. And then when LBJ learned that it was a lie, he already had his foots in so deep that he, you know, he, he just was unwilling to back out because he thought, OK, well, we'll have the war and we'll have it done in six months and that'll be the end of that. And, and we all know what happened. I think that Putin is in a similar situation. He's believing his own, uh, you know, omnipotence or uh, omnipotence, I guess is how you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and he's been lied to by the oligarchs, his, his you know, the Russian equivalent of the uh, military industrial complex. They've been skimming money off the top and, 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 you know, cutting corners. I mean, I was shocked to learn yesterday, I read in the Financial Times, that, you know, the Russian fighters have, uh, you know, uh, Garmin GPS systems glued to their windows. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the stuff, these things that you buy for your car, right? Uh, exactly. it, it's, it's like, whoa, where did that come from? And I think that, you know, my guess is that at some point soon, you're going to see Putin taking out or taking down his senior military leadership. Um, mm -hmm. Or they're going to take him out or take him down. Uh, you know, I, 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 it's, it's increasingly looking to me like this is a prescription for disaster within Russia. The question is, does then Putin or do the, does that leadership decide that their way out of it is to, you know, take out New York City or something like that or, or Frankfurt? And uh, that's where it gets very, very scary because God only knows how these people are thinking. Maria, I got to run, but thank you for the call. I, I appreciate your thoughts and I like your Vietnam suggestion. It was brilliant. Thank you. We'll be right back. Our book club book today is Last Boat Out of Shanghai by Helen Zia, the subtitle, The Epic Story of the Chinese Who Fled Mao's Revolution. This is from the prologue, Shanghai, May 4th, 1949. Bing sat up straight in the pedicab, gripping the hard seat as the driver cursed and spat. She watched with alarm as his feet, clad in sandals cut from old tires, seemed to slow to a snail's pace just when she most needed speed. This stylish-looking young woman had imagined that her last hours in Shanghai would be spent waving farewell from a ship's deck, envious onlookers below as a river breeze gently lifted her dark hair, just as she'd seen in the movies. After all, she was about to leave China's biggest, most glamorous, and most notorious city. But now, with the imminent threat of a violent communist revolution, she was running away again, along with half the city's population, it seemed. And instead of standing at the rail, exchanging smiles with the ship's other passengers, she was stuck in traffic, terrified that she wouldn't reach the Shanghai Hongkuo Wharf in time. That would spell disaster. She lurched forward as the pedicab driver stood on the pedals of his three-wheeled cycle and came to a stop. Around her was a sea of other pedicabs, rickshaws, cars, buses, carts, and trucks, all screeching and honking, their drivers yelling every manner of obscenity. The cacophony reverberated against the walls of the stone and concrete canyon of Nanjing Road. Bing was no stranger to Shanghai's mayhem, but she'd never seen anything quite like this. Of all times to be stuck in such bedlam, on the very day she had to get to the riverfront, the date set for her departure from this desperate city. She'd sewn her floral print quipois for this special occasion. Each careful stitch had captured her growing anticipation. With her oval face, big eyes, and full red lips all crowned by a tiara of black permanent waves, the 20-year-old might have been mistaken for a coy Shanghai poster girl, but for the panic in her eyes. Like her, everyone in Shanghai seemed to be in a frenzy to escape, to use any means to get away from the impending arrival of the communists. 
But unlike those who are still clamoring for a seat to anywhere, Bing was one of the lucky ones. She possessed a precious one-way ticket out on a ship to America. Finally, the driver managed to break through the crush. He harangued everyone in his path. She didn't blink at his choice of words, which came as naturally as breathing on Shanghai's streets. She didn't care as long as she got to the wharf. The ship's smokestacks came into view just past the stately Astor House Hotel and the towering 19-story Broadway Mansion's apartments, where the Xinjiao Creek meets the bend in the Waihangpu River, the last major tributary of the mighty Yangtze River, before it joins the East China Sea. Massive granite buildings, all in European style, lined the signature waterfront boulevard and docks. To the foreigners, this prime section of waterfront was known as the Bund, from a Hindustani word meaning embankment. The Chinese called it Waitan, meaning outside or foreign shore, a reference to the foreigners who once ruled this proud imperialist showcase of Shanghai. British and American businessmen had wrested away the best sections of the port city with the full support of the government. Land and sovereignty had been ripped from China, spoils of the opium wars that had forced the narcotic onto China 100 years before. Everything about these monuments to international capitalists and pale big noses seemed foreign, including the British Big Ben chime of the giant clock tower over the customs house. Soon it would be up to the communists to decide what would follow, what would happen to these grand stone edifices. Shanghai was China's most modern, populist, and cosmopolitan city. One of the leading metropolises of the world, the Paris of the Orient was also home to tens of thousands of foreigners who were despised as imperialists by the Communist Party and its leader, Mao Zedong. The city was the launching point for major inland routes and international traffic, whether by boat, plane, train, or wooden cart, making it the epicenter for the massive exodus in the late 1940s. Stoked by the anticipated communist victory over the nationalist government headed by Chiang Kai-shek, panic and terror had first infected the wealthiest, most educated, and most privileged classes and sent them running in what they fully expected to be a brief exile. It was assumed that the communists would target the rich and the pampered in the same way that the Bolsheviks had gone after the czarist white Russians, many of whom had come to Shanghai as refugees from that 1917 revolution. No one knows precisely how many people fled Shanghai during the early years of the communist revolution. Scholars and journalists have estimated that more than a million people set off from or through that port city. Many of those who ran for the exits belonged to the city's capitalist and middle classes, who presumably had the most to lose under the communists. These two groups comprised about 5% and 20%, respectively, of the city's 6 million residents, or about 1.5 million people. On the other hand, the remaining 4.5 million who made up Shanghai's majority saw no need to escape. They included Shanghai's industrial workers, coolies, drivers, the destitute. But it was not only members of the upper classes who fled. They were joined by old regime loyalists, from high nationalist government officials to lowly foot soldiers, as well as those who simply got caught up in the frenzy or were especially fearful. Unfortunately, there are no records of the exodus since the retreating nationalists destroyed as many documents as they could, while the incoming communists inherited a country in such disarray that no accounting of the departures is known to have taken place. Last Boat Out of Shanghai by Helen Zia. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag 
you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.